Amen. All right, this is session number three, then, on faith towards God. I want you to turn to Romans, the 10th chapter, if you would. Romans, the 10th chapter. And while you do that, I'm going to quote a scripture that we finished off with this morning from 2 Corinthians 4, <clears throat> where, again, Paul is relating and speaking in reference to Joshua and Caleb, who had another spirit. Do you remember how it said that? They had another spirit. They saw everything that the ten other spies saw, but they had another spirit. And God's word says back there in uh, Genesis, when he speaks, or in Exodus rather, when he speaks about it, and he says, in Numbers, I'll get it right yet. <laughs> he said, Joshua and Caleb, he said, for they had another spirit, they followed me wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Because remember what Joshua said, what Caleb said was those familiar words. He said, uh, yeah, there's giants in the land, but we are well able. We're well able. Now, again, we've all had these teachings, but just think about having 12 people in a room all looking at the same obstacle, and the majority of them say, we can't do it, and the minority says, well, we can do it. God said, the, in fact, you know that nowhere in Scripture is the majority ever right. It was always the minority, those few clarion voices that had the mind of Christ in a situation. And they said, we're well able. Now, Paul, as he communicates these things, he comes back up here in 2 Corinthians 4, 13, and he said, we having the same, and he calls it a spirit. He really does. We having the same spirit of faith. We have believed, and therefore have we spoken. So we begin to understand that something is always, something about belief and speaking do go together. They just do. They just do. You can't separate speaking and believing. So here in Romans 10, we're going to look at some very basic scriptures that were the scriptures that you had to have acted on to get saved. And let's just act like we haven't heard them before and just go through something here so I, so I can make these points too. So right in verse 1 of Romans 10, Paul is sharing, and he said, Brethren, with all my heart's desire and goodwill for Israel, I long and pray to God that they may be saved. He said, I bear them witness that they have a zeal and an enthusiasm for God, but it is not enlightened and according to correct and vital knowledge. Now, just stop right there. Remember this basic truth. The issue is never whether you are zealous or not zealous, or whether you're sincere or not sincere. I mean, because the issue is not... Sincerity doesn't bring freedom. <laughs> um, how else can I say that? Hear what he said here. He said, I bear them record that they have a zeal, but it's not according to knowledge. In other words, no matter what zeal Israel had, he said, it's not enlightened, therefore it's not producing the very thing that they're seeking. Right? So many of us, you see, in our churches may have much zeal, but if it's not, see, don't get angry that if it's not according to truth, it just doesn't produce. It just doesn't produce. Now, God will love us all the way to heaven if we never have any results in our life, but again, there's just so much more available. And again, we are to be followers of people that actually inherit this stuff. You know what I mean? 
Now, he goes on to say here, but he said, I bear them witness that they have a certain zeal and enthusiasm for God, but it is not enlightened and according to correct and vital knowledge. For, now listen, for being ignorant, you remember the word ignorant just means to lack the facts. It doesn't mean that somebody's dumb or stupid. Ignorant means, the word ignorant means you don't have all the information you need. A lot of people are ignorant. My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge, right? We all know the verse, Hosea 4, 6. For being ignorant of what? What were they ignorant of here? This whole 10th chapter, what's, what's, now remember, I don't know if you know this, but Romans 10 is preceded by Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. Okay? Which is all God's word through Paul about the righteousness of God. About the fact that, uh, you know, righteousness has been, again, precluded for us. I know it says in Corinthians, but I mean, that's what all through Romans 3, 4, 5, he speaks to this principle. And he says in verse 3, for being ignorant of the righteousness. Now, what's righteousness mean again? Let's make sure we're in class. What's it mean? Right standing. It's just an old English word that means right standing, to have right standing with God. For being ignorant of the righteousness that God ascribes, which makes one acceptable, which makes one acceptable to him in word, thought, and deed, and seeking to establish a righteousness, a means of salvation of their own, he said they do not submit themselves to the righteousness which is of God. In other words, that God's authored. So did you hear that again? I don't have a, should have had a King James up here, but it says, for going about to establish their own righteousness, they failed to submit themselves to the righteousness of God, the righteousness which is of God, all right? They went about to establish their own righteousness, and it was based upon works. And he said, because they went about trying to establish their own righteousness, they actually short-circuited something that God had intended for them. But again, you'll hear Paul's heart is crying out. He said, my brother, remember the first, word, first scripture? He said, my heart breaks for Israel. He said, I, I bear them record that they have a zeal for God. He said, my heart's desires that they be saved. But he said, they're not going to be saved because they're going about, at least these aren't saved, better be careful, these aren't saved because they're going about to establish their own righteousness. And they're not submitting themselves. They're not submitting themselves to the righteousness, which is a faith, is what we're going to find out. Now, did you hear that? The right standing which comes by faith. The revelation of right standing that's been imputed to us because of our faith. Verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law. Somebody say Christ is the end of the law. For Christ is the end of the law, the limit at which it ceases to be. Hallelujah. So would you quit trying to live under law? Don't let anybody put you under law. You hear me? For Christ is the end of the law, the limit at which it ceases to be. For the law leads up to him who is the fulfillment of its types. And in him the purpose which it was designed to accomplish is fulfilled. That is, the purpose of the law is fulfilled in him as the means of righteousness and right relationship to God for everyone who trusts and relies on him. For Moses writes that the man who can practice the righteousness, the perfect conformity to God's will, which is based on the law with all its intricate demands, shall live by it. In other words, has to live by it. If, and see, this is the problem today. 
if you put yourself under law by your belief system, then you're required to meet the demands of the law. But it's because that's where you've chosen to live, so God has to meet you where you've chosen to live. And if you've chosen to live under a law system, God can only meet you through the law system that you've self-imposed upon yourself. And later in Romans, it'll say that people who live by the law are doomed to disappointment. Doomed to disappointment. I'll repeat from the very first night, this is why grace has to be re-looked at over and over again. And it's frightening, it's dangerous, it's all of those things, but we cannot dismiss the fact that we're free men and women. That we're free. You're looking at a free man. I'm free. And I'm looking at free people. But you see, sometimes we don't know we're free, and so we don't go about and enjoy the freedom that we already have. That's the problem. You ever heard the old story that was in Reader's Digest about this is a true story about the guy who, back in the days of shipping when they didn't have airplanes and he'd saved and saved and saved and saved and saved all the money that he could to purchase a ticket to go on a ship from England to America to get to the new land so he could make his fortune hopefully over there one day. He had no money for anything else. He'd scraped together just enough money for the ticket. You remember the story? Just enough money for the ticket. He gets on board the ship. The ship takes about four weeks of passage, and every single meal time, remember, the guy would, out of embarrassment, because he had no money to purchase meals, he would go and kind of hide on a deck, and he brought with him a bunch of sausage and crackers. And while everybody else was having these lavish meals, he would sit underneath the stairwell and eat a little sausage and eat a little cracker. Because he was embarrassed, he had no money to partake of any of the meals. The very last day as they're pulling into New York Harbor, a purser sees him and said, Sir, I just don't understand. Why haven't you ever partaken of any of the meals? And the man said, Well, sir, I was embarrassed because I had no money for the meals. All I had was money enough for the ticket. And the purser looked at him and said, Sir, don't you understand that the cost of your ticket included meals? And so it's just a simple truth that you, you know, if you don't know what it is you have, it won't be of any good to you. I said, if you don't know what you have, if you don't know what you have, it's, it's as good as not having it. People perish for lack of knowledge. Or Isaiah 5.13 says, my people go into bondage without even realizing it because they reject the truth when it comes. But you need to know what you have. You need to know what, what you have. Well, so it says in verse 5 again, he said that if you, Moses said, the man who tries to live by the law or tries to practice the law is going to have to live by it. In other words, you're, you put yourself as subject to it. But then he starts in these familiar verses. And look what verse 6, 7, 8, and 9 says. Paul says, But the righteousness based on faith imputed by God and bringing right relationship with him says, now listen, it says, do not say. <laughs> I'll quote it from the King James. It says, But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, say not in your heart, who shall ask Christ to come down from above or up from beneath, but what saith it? The word of faith which we preach is nigh thee, even in thy heart and in thy mouth, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe with your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, for with the heart man believeth, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Right? Right? That's how you got saved, right? Now let me just read it from the Amplified. It says, 
But the righteousness based on faith, imputed by God, and bringing right relationship with him says, don't say. It's always interesting. Right standing with God, the right, sta the right standing with God that he recognizes, which is a faith, does not say, oh, Christ, please come down from above, or oh, Jesus, please come up from beneath. Did you hear that? Now, just, just because, let me go ahead and quote another verse now so we can put the two together if you're on the outline. It's on page 3. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, don't, just don't, you don't have to turn there unless you want to. You can make a note of it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 is where Paul says this. For as many as are the promises of God, did you hear that? However many there are. For as many as are the promises of God, they all find their yes answer in him, Christ. For this reason, we also utter the amen, so be it, to them, to God through him that is in his person and by his agency to the glory of God. Now, I will just say it again. For as many as are the promises of God, they all find their yes answer in Christ. Do you believe that's true? As many as are the promises of God, they all have been answered yes in Jesus Christ. And he said what we do when we know that, he said because of that, what we do is we utter the amen to them. Now in the prayer school, over and over again, when we first start the prayer schools, I'll go through this, and it's really basic to all of our prayer instruction, but it's still a, a, a line of embarkation or a line of debarkation, depending on where you're at in your life. But what we have to communicate to people over and over again is if God has, if you found, if God has promised something, Scripture says it was answered yes in Jesus Christ, then one of the things you learn not to do is pray for something that heaven sees is already done in Christ Jesus. If it's been promised of God, it's found its yes answer in Christ, and you're not called to pray for it, you're called to say amen to it. Did you hear that? See, in my life, listen to it now, quote Romans 10 again. The right standing of God, which is imputed to you by faith, the right standing of God that is of faith, how many of you know you're supposed to walk by faith? That's what we're talking about. And all this does, I know you came for a lifestyle of prayer thing, and this is, trust me, you need this. You need, if, it's the prayer which is of faith that saves the sick. It's the prayer which is of faith. But the Bible says, the righteousness which is of God speaketh on this wise, do not say who shall ask Christ to come down from above or up from beneath, but what saith that the word of faith is nigh, close to you, even in your heart and in your mouth. That is the word of this faith, of this faith, which we're trying to preach to you. For with the heart man believes, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now listen, the righteousness which is of God speaks on this wise. Don't say in your heart, who shall ask Christ to come down from above or from beneath? Now, I'm saying it over and over again because teaching comes by way of repetition. Listen to me. What, what, what is this? Oh, God. Now, don't, no, no, you got to bear with me here a little bit. Father, Jesus, please 
Come and heal me. Lord Jesus, heal me. Lord Jesus, heal me. Lord Jesus, bless me. Now, be honest. Don't you see that in reality that's asking him to come down again? Use your head. Think a little bit. Now, the reason I'm hesitating is because I don't want people to get caught up, like I said, in just some formula situation, and I don't want you to get freaked out. And then, like I said, the moment you hear somebody pray and say, oh, God, please heal me, that you, you go and point five fingers at them and say, that's not the way you're supposed to pray. That's, you know what I mean? No, no, no. <clears throat> but you see, because like I keep saying, I keep throwing this in, God meets people where they believe. But that doesn't mean you can't be more accurate. Because God does look on your heart, and he'll meet your heart. But my point is, if you want to be an honest student of this stuff, he said, don't ask him to come down from above. Don't you see the implication? He said, don't ask him to come down from above or up from beneath. But what saith it? The word of faith which we preach is nigh us, even where? Where's faith located? In the heart and in the mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now listen and how he defines it. That is, he said, for if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to it. If you will confess, if you will confess with your mouth. How many of you have a mouth? <laughs> if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in the Greek, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, now listen, this is the important part, and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Did you hear me? If you believe in your heart that God hath. Listen. Faith is believing in what God has done. Listen. And releasing faith in the fact, God, you have done this. The issue is not whether or not I'm experiencing it yet. Do you, how, you know, I've got to say that over and over again. I had to do the same thing with my life over and over again. I had to divorce myself from emotion and personal experience before this stuff ever started working in my life. I'm going to say that again. I had to divorce my emotions and myself from personal experience and God had me, I had to begin to clinically go to this word and just set my experience aside and see what God's word had to say. Because I'm just like you. I would try this and try that and try this or whatever and attempt this. And I was so disappointed consistently because, you know, well, I don't see this happen. But God said to me, just this simply said, I'm looking for you to just believe me before you have any experience. But watch. Faith is located in the heart and the mouth, and what it says is if you will believe, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe that God hath raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Now listen to me. What faith is, is believing in what God has already done, past tense, and beginning to confess with your mouth that. In other words, let's run that by 2 Corinthians 4.13 again. All the promises of God find their yes answer in Christ Jesus, and we utter this, the amen, the so be it to them. You see, be honest, really be honest. God, please come heal me. Now, honestly, 
You must see that in reality what you're doing is asking God to send his son again and go through what he already went through again. And God, Jesus, it wasn't enough the first time. There wasn't enough power released evidently the first time. Now, I know that we don't ever mean that, but you have to understand what heaven hears, the frustration of the grace of God the lack of knowledge of what God's really done in Christ Jesus. Jesus, you need to come again in my case because you don't understand the first sacrifice wasn't quite enough. Now, I know that none of you would say that, but I want you to see what we're saying. Jesus, please come down. Jesus, please come up. Jesus, please come down. Jesus, please... No, you see, what you find out is if God has promised something then it's been, if, if it's a promise of God, all we have is a scripture to live on, trust me. And it says that all of God's promises have been answered yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Now, don't get angry with me about that. That's what it says. But Paul said what we do is utter the amen to it. So let me just share, like with my own life, I do not pray for healing for myself ever. I never ask God to heal me. You know why? Because I am healed. I am the healed of the Lord. Now listen, just stay with me. What I do is I find the promise that says himself took my infirmities. Lord, your word says, you promised, and in Christ, it says that Jesus Christ himself, he took my infirmities. Now, see, I've studied this for years. I've, you know, I'm not trying to sound cool, but I'm just saying I've gone back. Like I said, I studied. Somebody's asked me questions earlier this morning. You see, I took my Bible and a concordance, and I took yellow pads, you know what I mean, legal pads, and notebooks. I sat down at a table, and I took and I searched every single scripture in the Bible that had anything to do with sickness, disease, healing, death, whatever. And see, something awesome happens when you do that. When you just start running to and fro through this word, what happens is somewhere, if you're serious and you begin to look, all of a sudden, listen to me, Benny Hinn doesn't speak to you. Kenneth Copeland doesn't speak to you. You hear me? Or whoever one of your teachers, God speaks to you. And see, when God speaks something to you, it so strikes your spirit. See, God's word, Jeremiah says, is not my word like a hammer that breaks in pieces the rock of most bone-like resistance. And see, our hearts are so covered with barnacles that it takes sometimes strong words to come from heaven to just go, bam, you know, bust that stuff off of your heart until all of a sudden you get to that tender place that receives it afresh. But I never ask God to heal me because I, well, how can I ask him to heal me when it says he took my infirmities? You see, I mean, you go back into your study like through the Old Testament, and you'll see the whole thing about when the priest had these two goats. Remember the scapegoat and the other goat? And you laid hands on one goat. You confessed all the sins of Israel upon it, a sin bearer, right? And that goat was taken out into a wilderness by a strong man and let go. That's a perfect type of Christ who went into the pit of hell for three days and three nights, no matter what you think, because he said, even as Jonah was in the belly of the well, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights, right? Right? And the other goat, the other one was sacrificed and burnt right there, and there was these two issues. One was a sin bearer, one was a sickness bearer. You go when the whole issue is about leprosy. You know that leprosy is the only sickness in the entire Old Testament where you were told to go to a priest? Think about it, not to a doctor. You go to a priest because leprosy is a type of sin. 
You know how you got free from that? If it's funny because, you know, nobody ever was healed of leprosy in the Old Testament except Naaman. And the priest didn't know what to do because if you were ever healed of leprosy, the, what you had to do is go get two birds and you had to take one bird and slit his throat and drip blood from the bird over, it said, living water. Then you had to take another stick, a stick, the cross, a stick, tie the bird to the stick, Jesus, dip it in the blood, and then sprinkle the person and confess him and to declare him free. But I'm just saying, all through the Old Testament, everywhere you look, you see this typology of Christ the healer. I mean, how about numbers when, remember, everybody was murmuring and complaining against Israel, and all these serpents were let loose in their midst. Remember, all the serpents were let loose in their midst, and everybody was being bitten, and God said what? Put, you make a brazen serpent, put it up on a pole, and whoever continues to stare at the pole with a steady, absorbing gaze shall live. And everybody wonders, why a serpent? Why a serpent? Because then we say that was a type of Christ. And they say, how could a serpent be a type of Christ? Because he that knew no sin was made to be sin for us. And so you look at that, and I mean, it's just all through Scripture you see that, but the point there that's really important is he who looked at it with a steady, absorbing gaze. And I always, when I teach that in school, people begin to laugh because if you, can you imagine everybody around you is being bit by poisonous serpents? Now, you know, just think right now in this room if we had about 5,000 poisonous snakes in here. Pleasant thought, right? Just, just picture it, all right? They're everywhere, but there's a pole up here, and it says, if you'll keep looking at that with a steady absorbing gaze, you'll be whole, you'll be healed, you'll be, you won't be moved, you won't be touched by the stuff. Now think about it. You're sitting there staring at this, but the whole time you're hearing people over here, ah, ooh, ah, ah, you know, things are crawling past your feet. And tell me there's not the temptation to go like this. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know what I'm trying to say. There's that temptation. But God's Word said you've got, and what's one of the first things you ever heard when you're saved? Keep your eyes on Jesus. You can't get distracted by this other stuff, but I don't pray for healing. I found that it's a promise of God. And so what I do is say, Father, your word says himself took my infirmities. He bore my sicknesses. I've seen it. I've walked through the scriptures in so many areas. I've seen what you've done. I say amen to it. I don't pray for it. I say amen to it. So be it in my life. That's what I do. Father, this stuff has no right to exist in my flesh. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I resist this stuff. You may not reside in my body. In the name of Jesus, himself took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses, so be it in my flesh. But that is a fight of faith. Now, let me just throw it up early in advance, you know, something that I would have got to later. I'll get to next year if you come. You know, the whole thing about Mark 4, like I spoke to earlier, it says that when Satan, that when the word comes, Satan comes. Now, what I'm throwing that out for is when I first got a hold of just, you now we're talking about faith and stuff, but because healing is just such an obvious illustration all the time. When I first got a hold of this stuff, how many of you know that a common cold, if you don't do anything with it, will last about 10 days, give or take? You know what I mean? And I would first, when I first got a hold of this truth and I saw that it was God's will for me to walk in health, and I'd start to get it, well, first of all, I'd made a lot of mistakes. How many of you, this is what I used to do. You know, before I'd ever begin to come against something, you know, how, how, do you know how cold starts? You know what it is? How, you remember how it is when you wake up and you go, <clears throat> you know what I mean? But you don't do anything, you don't pray. But the next day you wake up and you go, 
And the third day you wake up and you go, <coughs> you know what I mean? Be honest. The fourth day, <coughs> and about the fifth day you go, Lord, in the name of Jesus. You know, you know, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? At least that's how I used to be. You know what I mean? See, now I've learned over the years, the moment I smell something coming nigh me, I jump on it like a chicken on a bug. I'm serious. I jump hard and fast, hard and fast on it. I mean, I'll tell you some honest stories. But anyhow, when I first started to get a hold of this stuff, you see, faith is a muscle. You begin to see, I believe Jesus took my infirmities. I do. But now I'm going to be honest with you. But let me, I'm going to tell two stories. One is this. The thing about the fact about like a cold. When I first started to quote, unquote, exert my faith in the fact that I saw that Jesus himself, I actually made the decision to believe that Jesus took my infirmities. Well, if he took them, why do I have to take them? I mean, just really why? Now, listen, there's a thousand, thousand messages on healing and stuff, and I can't answer all your questions. I'm not God. I don't know why, you know, I mean, there are, I can, I can give some reasons why people don't get healed, but I do, I can't give all the reasons because everything's so individualistic. I don't know the histories. I don't know this. Though can you study all the, you know, do you remember the last scripture of the book of John or was it the book of Luke where the, the disciple that wrote it said, had we recorded all the things that we'd witnessed in the life of Jesus, I do not suppose that the world itself would be able to hold the volumes. Can you imagine? Did you hear that? Had we recorded all that we witnessed in those three and a half years, I do not suppose that the world itself would be able to hold the volumes. But you see, the Holy Spirit saw it right to just give us, as it were, tips of the iceberg, patterns. In other words, Jesus, what he did, we see in the four Gospels, we see samples of how he dealt with things. But there was tons of it of experiences that these guys saw. But the Holy Ghost evidently felt that was enough that we have. But within all of those, again, you do see all this issue, like I said, where he said, be it according to your faith most of the time. The other times were a manifestation of the gift of the Spirit of God. But see, healing isn't always a manifestation of the, well, it's always a manifestation of God's love and Spirit, but it's not always a gift of the Spirit in operation. Anyhow, let me get to the point here before I drive you crazy. I began to say, I'd started to get, I'd get a cold, you know, and I'd go, Father, I believe you took my infirmities. I don't believe this is something I have to have. I resist this in the name of Jesus. I know your word, James 4, 7. See, a lot of people quote James 4, 7 and say this, resist the devil and he'll flee. But that's not what James 4, 7 says. James 4, 7 says, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Well, God and his word are one. So I began to submit myself to the Word. In other words, I allowed the Word of God to have greater authority than my own thought processes. And I said, Father, regardless of what I think and what I feel right now, I choose, I make the decision to believe. Listen, when you got saved, did you instantly feel saved? I mean, I didn't. Maybe you did. I didn't dance. I didn't hug trees. I didn't do zip. You know what I mean? <laughs> I just I confessed that Jesus Christ was Lord of my life. I made a decision to believe it in my heart. Bells didn't go off. Some people, you know, I praise God. I wish it would have happened to me. I hear guys, this friend of mine, Ron Perry, when he got saved, he said he ran out into a park and started hugging trees. <laughs> You know, that's, that's just not my style. I can't help it. You know, I didn't, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Some people had lightning kind of salvation experiences, road to Damascus stuff, you know. I was in a hole. I won't tell you where I got saved. But right now, they'll all leave, won't they, Margaret? But anyhow, but the point is, you know, I, I submitted myself, and I said, Father, I just, I'm going to begin to use my faith here. 
I choose to believe that Jesus Christ himself took my infirmities. Well, all I'm trying to spit out is this. Satan came immediately to steal the word. I mean, boy, if you ever want to find out if this stuff is spiritual, a 10-day cold, when I began to use my faith, took 40 days for me to get over. <laughs> I still have my old notebooks. I remember because I was legalistic. Because I was trying, I was learning. I'm, I'm still sick. <laughs> 40 days later, well, you know, that wasn't too inspiring for me. Because I thought, my God, I could have just left this stuff alone. I would have been, been okay a long time ago, man. I'm serious. You know, I would have been just out playing football, doing something, man. You know, why mess with this stuff? See, I really didn't understand how spiritual it was. Hell comes against you more aggressively when you actually make a decision. And this is why, like I said this morning, you have to get delivered from the panic syndrome, and you have to understand this is the fight of faith that begins to happen. When you first step out into this stuff, you're leaving one realm of belief system, and Satan's going to try to steal the truth of God's Word from you by making things a lot tougher than they were had you not tried. And see, I began to exercise my faith, and over the years, that 40 days went from 40 to 35 to 30, to, because the Bible says, exercise yourself towards godliness. And it's an exercise. But see, most of us, because it takes 40 days, you say, this stuff doesn't work. I'm going home. <laughs> you know what I mean? So be honest. I mean, my God, they said to try this. To, well, I went to this prayer seminar, and this guy said, I need to believe God for my healing and trust God and learn to use my faith. And I did, and I got sicker. I got worse. I heard a message on tithing. I started to give, and I lost everything. The washing machine broke. The car broke down. Isn't that what happens? Honestly? Why? Because whatever. It's so spiritual. When I, often I was asked to come and speak in churches and say, and they would ask me to come and give like a seminar, a three-day seminar on healing. My first question every time to the pastor was, have they ever been taught on healing before? And if a guy said no, they've never had an actual seminar, a line upon line expository teaching on healing from, you know, like seven, eight sessions, really what God's Word has to say about healing. I said, then you need to be prepared. And I mean, we've done, they've done, they've done statistical studies on this stuff because I was, see, we had, the school I was at, we had to study this stuff over and over again. We had to study, we had these ancient, ancient, I didn't mean ancient, I'm sorry, old men of God, <laughs> like Dr. Roy Sprague, Dr., uh, 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 oh, I can't even remember his name. I'm looking at the guy's face right now. I remember it in a minute. <laughs> but I mean, where I was at, I mean, these saints of God that have gone on home, I mean, people, well, even for that matter, you know, uh, in this nation, you know, uh, Ken and Lois God are friends of ours. And, you know, Lois's granddad worked with Smith Wigglesworth. And I've been down and I've ministered down in Dorset for three days with, and I had this old 84-year-old couple, 83-year-old couple, Harold and Alice Berry, come and, and tell me how much they enjoyed something I was teaching. And they kept inviting me for tea. And I didn't, well, thank you very much, but I'm here with the pastor and I can't just go to somebody's house, da da da, da until the pastor came to me the second day and said, do you know who that couple is, that old couple is? And I said, well, they introduced themselves as Harold and Alice Berry. He said, well, do you know who that is? And I said, no. He said, well, Alice is Smith Wigglesworth's granddaughter. I went, oh. <laughs> and I was impressed because I've studied a lot about, you know, have you ever read about Wigglesworth, you know? And I went, next time they said hello to me, I said, hi, you know. <laughs> and I, 
And, you know, but I sat and I chatted and talked with them firsthand and listened to the things. And Harold, her husband, was the one that used to carry his bag and go with him on the train and do the meetings along with the Salter brothers and what have you. And I've sat and I've worked and I've listened to these guys. And all of them will tell you, you know, when you first start to get into this stuff, when you go and you teach a church full of people who have never heard the word of the Lord in that area, a church that maybe is doing fine. You got 400, you got, say you got 500 people in a church, maybe 10 of them are experiencing illness of some kind, right? You come in and you teach a four-day seminar on healing. As God is my witness, there's statistical studies. In a matter of three weeks to four weeks, sometimes 50 to 60 to 70% of them are hit with some kind of illness. Did you hear what I just said? Yes. Well, doesn't that make a bell go off somewhere? This stuff is spiritual. <laughs> do you hear me? Satan comes immediately to steal the word. So what you do is you back off, you faint, you stop. This doesn't work. I'm not involved. I'm going to go back to where it's comfortable and live in a place of convenient Christianity. Thank you very much. I mean, I'm serious. That's why I said you have to have a little Christian backbone. You have to have the wherewithal to when you step into this stuff, I'm here for the long haul. I'm going to exercise. I'm aware. And see, this is what I mean. So don't panic when you first start and everything goes awry because that's normal. Did you hear me? Because hell's going to see. You see, God's Word says it's required in a man that he be found faithful. Be followers again of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. You know what the word patience is in the Greek? Macrothumia. It means to be long-spirited. That's what it says in Vines. And it speaks of stretching of the neck. That's what it means. It's a word picture to stretch the neck. Patience. Everybody say, I love patience. We used to say it this way, faith opens the door to the promises of God, patience is the doorstop. Without patience, the door slams. Hear me? And so then we say what? This stuff doesn't work because I tried it. Well, anyhow. Faith is a shield, Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God, what? That you may be able to stand against, what? The strategies of the devil. You do understand hell has strategies, plans. And most of us, he doesn't have to use anything much new because what he's been using for years has worked forever. You know what I mean? But put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And it goes on and talks about putting on the breastplate of righteousness. You know, this is what I mean. All of these things all knit together. What's right? right you, what, does a she, what does a breastplate cover? Your heart. What's it, what kind of a breastplate is it? Righteousness. What's righteousness mean? Right standing with God. See, the only thing that protects your heart is the revelation that you have right standing with God. So don't you understand what hell tries to, to steal from you in that case? You're ugly. You're unworthy. You're rotten. Don't you know what you did? Look what you did. I heard what you thought. I heard everything you thought. <laughs> and what happens is and he, he weakens your heart because out of the heart will see the issues of life. And you have to have this breastplate up here that says, I don't care what I feel like. I am in right standing with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes. 
And I do have my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. I do have my loins girded about with truth. And I do have on a helmet of salvation. And above all, I have the saving shield of faith, which, wherewith I shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And that's why I take the sword of the Spirit. And that's something we'll get to no, maybe tomorrow morning. But this whole issue of what I'm trying to get to is Romans 10 again. <laughs> the righteousness which is of faith speaks on this wise. Don't say, who shall ask Christ to come down from above or up from beneath? But what saith it? The word which is of faith is nigh you. It's close, even in your heart and in your mouth, that if you will confess with your mouth, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and believe in your heart what God hath already done, you'll be saved. The word for saved there, Schofield, like Schofield's Bible, he says it's the all-inclusive word of Scripture. The word is sozo, S-O-Z-O. The word sozo means health, deliverance, health, deliverance, peace, and I'm leaving a couple of them out. Protection, Protection something else. <laughs> Sorry. But it's the all-inclusive scripture. So if you think about it, what does it say? It says, for with the heart man believes, and with the mouth confession is made unto. Listen, with the mouth confession is made unto that deliverance, that healing, that freedom, that peace that you need. But what is it that you have in your mouth? That which you believe in your heart. And what is it that you are to believe in your heart? You're to believe what God hath done in Christ. So we're not to ask him to come down. You are supposed to find out what hath he done. And then you begin to apply it. That's your faith. You begin to hold it up there and say, no, you can't steal my marriage. You can't steal my health. You can't steal my finances because it's not lawful. Now, now, God help me get out of that one. I don't want to go there binding and loosing. It's not lawful. I resist. You have no right. And see, the other thing about if I keep using healing as a thing, this is why you have to know what's already happened. Most people are trying, most people think they're sick and they try to get healed. When what the scripture teaches is that you are the healed from whom Satan is trying to steal health. You see, your identification, what do you identify with? But you've got to understand, we're having to play catch-up. 99.9% .9 of the church lives in a soulish realm. Yeah. Well, I'm sick. I can see I'm sick. You can see I'm sick. I'm sick. Listen, that's the facts. What, remember what I said this morning? That is the fact. I won't deny the fact. But I've chosen to live by the truth. I hope I'm not just preaching to you. I really want you. See, I know that, you know, I'm just throwing this out, and some of it's new, some of it's old, but I'm telling you, you need to understand this. You need to keep going back to it until it's not something you just got racing across your mind, until it's so strong in your heart that when the pressure comes, it boils out of your mouth. I mean, it boils out. It's not something because, you know, it's not like this. It's like somebody when you teach on deliverance. You know, if you're confronted by a devil, it's not the time to go, oh, would you wait a minute? Let me look at my notes. <laughs> And wait a second. No, just wait right there. Wait a minute, devil. It says here, it says here that, that what you need to do now, I bind you in Jesus' name. And 
silly, but do you hear my point? It's not a teaching that scares a devil. It's the presence of the shepherd in your heart. It's the revelation of truth that's written upon the... It's when it's so strong in your spirit that, I mean, it's the sword. See, now I come to the rhema again because the Bible says the word is nigh thee, even in the heart and the mouth. And the, the Greek word there is rhema, and we have to talk about rhemas. We do. The difference between logos and rhema, don't we? Because logos is like the overall word of God. Rhema, the, the definition of the word rhema in W.E. Vine's dictionary is, quote, it says, not the whole word of God, but that particular scripture, it says, a particular scripture which the Holy Spirit brings up into your remembrance for use in time of need, the prerequisite being the regular storing of the mind with scripture. I'll say it again. A rhema is a particular word that the Holy Spirit brings up into your mind for use in time of, of need, the prerequisite being the regular storing of the mind with Scripture. The prerequisite, the prerequisite, the prerequisite, the prerequisite. I said the prerequisite. I said the prerequisite being the regular Hebrews 11.6 says, He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who casually inquire into his word. <laughs> is that what it says? God did not promise to reward the casual inquirer. He said God rewards the diligent seeker. So don't get mad at me. God is no respecter of persons. You can seek just as diligently as I do or anyone else does. You know what? It all depends how serious you get. It's called desperation. Now I'm going to tell you another sad story. I hate this story about myself. I hate it. I hate it. But you know, tough. Like I tell you, like right now, I've got a bad knee. You know what I mean? I'm just kidding. I'm just, I believe in being honest. I mean, you know, how many of you know God knows anyhow, so what's the difference? But I, this is what bugs me. This is what I hate about me. Here I am standing up here, and I'm sharing these things with you about the basics of faith, principles of faith, stuff that I know, stuff that I've learned from others and that I've had to learn myself over the hard, hard lessons. Julie and I, you know, we've, one of our heart visions is a prayer in a healing center because we've watched what happens when we can pull people out of an environment of unbelief and get them into a place, a protected area, where we can just feed faith, feed faith, feed faith. We've had many, many, many terminal cases God raised up, totally healed. And we've had many die. You know what I mean? Breaks your heart. But I want to tell you, a lot more have lived than have died. But the issue is, even when Jesus dealt with the sick, remember, why am I on, then I'm just constantly on sickness. But anyhow, when Jesus dealt with the sick, remember even like Jairus' daughter and what have you, do you remember how when he went to the house and he said, the damsel is not dead, but she sleepeth, and the same people who were mourning began to mock him and laugh? And what did he do? He ran them out of the house and took with him only the two closest disciples and the parents of the child. Because the point there is when you need a miracle, you have to rid the environment of unbelief. Yes. Hear me? What I was going to say about myself, a, while, a couple of years ago, three years ago, whenever it was, I don't even remember how long ago it was now. Some of the team may remember. I hid it for a long time. I was having some pains that were more than pains in my stomach. I mean pains. I mean, I mean, you know, when God's anointing's on you, when you're preaching, you don't feel zip. Like even like my knee. I never feel anything when I'm up here preaching. As soon as I stop, my knee goes, I want you! You know, anyhow. 
Hi. I don't know if they'll show these on television or not. <laughs> but I was so, I would, I'd get done preaching and I would come back and Julie would know and I'd say, I just, I, I, I need to lay down. And I mean, I hurt. I mean, I hurt so bad. And I mean this, you know, it's a guy thing. I don't need to go to a doctor. You know what I mean? It's a guy thing, right? You know, I'm tough. <laughs> And I mean, but I mean, you know, just, I mean, I would hurt so bad. I hurt so bad that you would have had to shoot me to feel better. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I hurt. I'm just being honest. I'd hurt. But I wouldn't go. I just wouldn't go, and I kept missing stuff. And finally, Julie and Ann went up to see that doctor in Stoke, right? Whoever it was, this doctor in Stoke, who was a stomach gastro specialist, or what was he, something? I don't know what he was. Something like, well, I don't know. They went up there. Julie shared with this guy. He happened to be a partner with their ministry, I guess. I think he was. Anyhow, I shared with him about what I was going through and these, these symptoms that I was feeling. And he said, well, put the guy, put him on a train tomorrow or whenever, tomorrow, the next day, something like that, or a couple of days, I don't know. Put him on a train and get him up here because, you know, I need to look at him and I'll get him to somebody specialist because what you're describing, you know, could be something, whatever. Julie comes home and she said, you know, my wife, she's very tender. You're going to the doctor and you're going tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Any of us who are married know what I'm talking about. But this is what I said, you know, I may, may not have been tomorrow, may have been the next day, but I, I said, I walked in the house and I was laying, I walked in, I laid down the bed and I hurt so much that there were tears coming down my face and it was just upsetting my wife, something fierce. And I said, and she said, Rod, you're going. She said, you need to check this out and see what it is. And I mean, I've been fighting this 18 months, two years anyhow. And I just kind of just keep rolling along. And I looked at her and I mean, I had hardly any, no strength. And this is why I hate myself for this. And I looked at her and I said, Give me 30 minutes. Just give me 30 minutes. And she knew what I meant, because we've been together for a long time. And she said, all right. And she walked out, and I said, just close the door. And I can't tell you, because it's too deep and it's too personal, of what you learn to do or what you know you can do if you'll do it. All I know is, for the next 30, I laid there, and I got before my God and my Master, and I talked some things over with Him. And I basically, to cut to the chase because of time, I did what I knew I could do. I connected with heaven. I mean, I connected because I know how to. I actually, and this is not whether you think I'm trying to be pompous or not. I can't, I can't, it's, I can't, I can't be bothered. I mean, I'm sorry. I just, it's not, you know, I'm past that in, now, in nowadays in my life. But I, I just did what I knew I could do, you know, through this these things that I've learned in my life and the times I've been before him on my face and, and I reached out and I touched him, you know, and he touched me and that grace just came and I walked out of there 30 minutes later totally whole and free from pain. Haven't had one pain since, you know. Now, I mean, this stuff was rugged. I know that God touched me. And so I walk out and I'm just, hallelujah, you know. And my wife goes... <laughs> Well, if you know how to do this stuff. <laughs> My point is this. This is the sickness and the depravity of the soul. I'm being honest with you. The fact of the matter is, lots of times, I simply don't do what it takes. I said I don't like saying that. I'm just being honest. Some, you know why? I've learned to cope with a lot. I went into a church once, 
it had a style, uh, a thing full of tapes, and it was called How to Cope Series. And it said how to cope with depression, how to cope with cancer, how to cope with all this stuff. I almost kicked it over. Because <laughs> I thought to myself, I don't want to cope with anything. I want to be free from it. Yes. But I'm saying the thing is, what happens in our souls is the issue is that you and I have been so trained to accept and to deal that often we won't do, we won't be desperate enough to really touch what we know is available to touch. And I'm just confessing my own sin before you. I know what to do sometimes, but the fact of the matter is sometimes I won't just take the time to get serious enough to touch heaven. I want to tell you, heaven's waiting. Heaven's waiting. You have to know what God has done, and you have to have that at work in your heart. And I've got to stop here because of time. But God wants you to be aware of what God has done. All the promises of God find their yes answer in Christ Jesus. All of them. And you have to begin to train your human spirit to have yourself, so that stuff. You see, remember God said, I want these words to be carved upon the fleshly tablets of your heart. It's not something that you have in your head. Faith is located in the heart, not in the head. I said it's in the heart, not the head. You don't confess what makes sense with your head. It's what you believe in your heart that comes out when you're under pressure. Let's let God's word, what's it say? Let the word of God dwell richly in you so that when pressure comes, life comes. Father, I thank you for your word. I just thank you that there's life in this stuff if we'll just dig it out. And I praise you that, again, you are no respecter of persons, Father, that you will not do for one what you won't do for another. So I'm just asking again, Father, that we could all be honest before each other and before you. None of us have all the answers, but you are the answer. And whether we ever get healed or not, I don't want anybody condemned, Lord. I just want us hungry, and I want us never to give up. I don't want anybody to believe the lies that say, oh, well, it just doesn't work. No, we're just exercising this muscle, and it's going to grow if we'll just keep at it. Because you're faithful. You're faithful. You abide faithful. So help us, Lord, with this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.